Welcome to the ACO Show. As we continue to explore the expansion of value-based healthcare in America, Megan Slega, who is Allidate's Director of Pharmacy, joins Joe and Josh to talk about the role that pharmacists can play in the success of an accountable care organization. And she helps us understand the complicated role that pharmacy benefits managers and drug rebates play in the cost of healthcare. We hope you learned something interesting. start today by welcoming Joe back. Delighted to have you back, Joe, after a couple months at home with a new baby. I'm sure that was nothing but just rest and relaxation. Yes, it is definitely uh, more relaxing to be back at work, but I think if I had even a much more stressful job, it would be more relaxing. Like huh. a riot guard or some <laughs> sort of uh, you know intense role like that. But yeah, it's, it's great to be back. Thank you. Good. All right, and welcome, Megan. So you are the pharmacist at Allidate. I am. So let's hear a little bit about what you do, and in particular... Maybe people want to know, what do, what do pharmacists do? So they don't all work at the retail counter at CVS? That's right. Believe it or not, I feel like when I tell someone I'm a pharmacist, their first gut reaction is, oh, you dispense medications, you work at a local CVS, you work at a local Rite Aid, and it takes a lot of uh, discussion to get to the point where it's an understanding of what pharmacists can do and what we're doing today. And it's pretty incredible to see where pharmacists have ended up, and myself included, working with Allidade within our accountable care organization. So within Allidade, what I'm doing, uh, helping to drive some of our pharmacy initiatives, things like high-value medication prescribing, looking at how much we're spending on medications and trying to ensure our providers are prescribing medications that make the most sense and are cost-effective, as well as our patients are saving money in the long run on the medications that they're taking. We also look at things like adherence, trying to develop programs that help to support patients taking their medications as prescribed in order to help keep them out of the EDs, out of the hospitals, and to drive savings in that capacity. Um, and then we also look at uh, the larger picture within pharmacy, and, and that's medication management. How do we position pharmacists to help support providers? How do we bridge that disconnect that's currently there between what a provider or PCP is doing and what a pharmacist is doing, whether that be in the retail setting or whether that be embedded in the PCP practice itself? That's a that's a great segue for my uh, my question, which is knowing what it looks like in a hospital setting, particularly in an academic medical center where it's not uh, odd at all to have a pharmacist embedded with the team rounding in the ICU on a transplant service, uh, because clearly you need someone with that in-depth expertise that a surgeon or a a medical doctor may not have. how does it work in the PCP setting? You, you alluded to that a little bit, but could you expound on that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, within, it's funny you bring up the healthcare setting, uh, it's becoming more and more common to see those pharmacists there. They're like, you, as you mentioned, they're rounding with those providers and they're becoming accustomed to having them and they, they feel uh, a little lost almost when that pharmacist isn't, isn't there supporting them and we just aren't there yet. I don't think in the ambulatory setting, but we're getting there. Um, so what can your pharmacist do when the pharmacist is in your PCP's office? If you're currently a patient who has a PCP who has 
that pharmacy support? What are some things that you may experience? And it may be that the pharmacist is there to come into the room and talk to you as the patient about what medications you're taking, what you can expect while you're taking it, how to take that medication, what you can take it with and what you can't take it with. Um, so providing some of that general education for that patient, as well as then providing education and collaboration with the PCP, talking to them maybe in the hallways or, or after a visit to discuss what's going to be best for you as the patient, which medications, which new medications are available that are cost effective that we may want to try to prescribe in place of maybe some of the older therapies that just aren't working as well any longer. So they're really becoming a collaborative care partner with that PCP to help them ensure that they're prescribing medications that are going to work as best as possible for patients. Um, so I see an, an interesting analog to when we talk about the uh, value add of EHR services through Allidaid where the primary care docs, their staff see that as such a significant help to them to have an EHR coordinator involved in their practice to leverage their EHR to the max of its capabilities. And with this, having a pharmacist in the practice, um, for those that are fortunate enough to have that, um, I would imagine the patients have that same uh, reaction to it in addition to the physicians. And by that, I mean, you know, anybody who's in healthcare as a, a provider of any stripe, pharmacist, doctor, nurse, MA, physical therapist, always gets questions about what people are prescribed. I'm certain I do all the time. So have you seen in those settings that patients are just completely taken in by that, by having a pharmacist there to talk about their medication while they're actually seeing the doctor? I think the patient experience with having that pharmacist as part of the collaborative care team uh, we've seen is incredibly well received. For, patients are so appreciative to have that extra time with someone who really knows these drugs that they're taking and can look at the whole picture and, and spend time, additional time, talking to them about the questions that they have and answering those that maybe their MA or their physician might not have time to talk to them about and, and give them that level of detail that they're looking for. So ultimately, we've seen that patients are incredibly receptive to the pharmacist support. Sometimes that takes time to build that relationship, but ultimately, they begin to see that pharmacist is part of their care team and feel that trust and that collaboration. Well, one, one thing I've come up against is some of the warnings about med-med interactions that come up, where the warnings will be there that two meds can't go together. But in fact, the, the thing that is warned about is very rare and often outweighed by the benefits of the combination. So I'll give an example of tramadol and an SSRI. So these warnings pop up, and as a psychiatrist, I'll get calls from a pharmacist saying, you prescribe these two meds together. There's a dangerous interaction. So I told the patient, you know, they shouldn't take this. Um, and in fact, yes, that can happen, but it's pretty rare. And in general, untreated depression is much more severe and much more likely than that interaction. And um, when you've prescribed tramadol, it's often because they have a lot of problems with opiates. And so it still may be the right thing to do. And I, I find myself often saying, I know that that interaction is a theoretical possibility, but it's uncommon. And overall, it's safer for the patient to take these two meds. But the warnings sort of freak everybody out. And I sometimes feel that, that the pharmacists just know what the, um, what the pharmacologic, well, that the pharmacists know the possible chemical interaction, but not all the, the factors that went into the decision. 
Um, and that, that's been a challenging issue sometimes. I wonder what your thoughts are there. I completely agree. Uh, and I think that's part of what's caused this disconnect in, in the silo that is retail pharmacy is that these pharmacists are, are looking at the full medication list, which is something that the provider doesn't have, mm-hmm. but they don't have the EHR. They can't see what lab work has been done. They can't see the note that you wrote up on that patient and the fact that you agreed that, yes, this tramadol and this SSRI are, I know that there's an interaction here, but I I know that this is what's best for the best for the patient. When I weigh the benefits and the risks, this is the what I want to do for this patient. Uh, so they don't have access to that information, and I think this is what's causing this this disconnect between our PCPs and our pharmacists is that there's a lack of communication. We can't see what the primary care provider has said. We can't see what the pharmacist is seeing on their end. And there's very little communication in between the two to let each other know what's going on. Day to day, primary care providers, incredibly busy. Retail pharmacists, very busy. Uh, so when we talk about time spent to communicate with one another, there's very little time that can be devoted to letting each other know what's going on in both in both avenues and that's something that we're hoping that we can start to to fix is to bridge that disconnect and try to bring primary care providers and pharmacists together in in any capacity. So that's nice. I actually worried that that question would be needlessly antagonistic, but it it actually is just an argument for better integration and collaboration. That's great. Yeah, thinking about the example I raised earlier about my own experience working with uh, pharmacists uh, when I was a surgical resident, that on a service like the transplant service, where medication is such an integral part of the post-transplant process for patients, um, you almost couldn't do it without having a pharmacist there, at least reachable on a minute-by-minute basis, but even better face-to-face. And the discussions that happen are so fruitful and so rich in the hallway after seeing the patient on exactly those points. Now, it's a much more intense setting often than we're talking about uh, in in a primary care office, but nevertheless, you get that back and forth and give and take to say, I know the interactions are X, Y, Z, but as Josh said, it's worse to have the outcome from not taking those meds together, and then together you make that decision about what's best for the patient. So it seems like a really uh, virtuous cycle having the pharmacist more uh, integrated into that process. Yeah, so I'd love to spend some time thinking about the ways that pharmacists can most help in value-based care settings, but I thought it might help if we sort of take a step back and think about the finances of why that even would make sense of sort of what part of pharmacy matters in commercial contracts, what part of pharmacy spend matters in Medicare, um, and talk a little bit about what Part D is. So love to love to start there if you would. Sure. Uh, looking at our ACOs, we have a couple of different models that we work with, and our biggest is our Medicare Shared Savings Program, and, and there is an opportunity for pharmacy within that, and there's a few different avenues that we have available. Um, you mentioned Part D, but that is actually excluded from our MSSP contracts, and we can talk a little bit more about why why that is. Um, and Part D is our retail and our specialty spend, so when you walk into the pharmacy, the spend that you, you would uh, be attributed to there. However, with MSSP, we're accountable for Part B spend, which is the injectables, the immunizations, anything that you're getting when you go into your PCP's office administered or your specialty provider's office, that is spend that we are accountable as uh, an MSSP ACO for. So let me just back up there for any of our listeners who don't spend all day every day reading about uh, Medicare regulations, just that there are various parts of Medicare. There's Part A, which with some exceptions is about paying for hospitalization 
Part B is generally outpatient visits and including the specialty drugs, that, as Megan just mentioned. Uh, part C is something called Medicare Advantage, and Part D is all medications. If you're interested, I can give a lengthy list of really long, boring books about why that is the way it is. I did a lot of papers on that in grad school. That'd be great. I'll, I'll edit that out afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> so you were saying that Part D is not included in that spend, and one of the good ways to uh, think about the difference between the two is whether it's administered in an office setting or not. Um, is that... That seems counterintuitive to me, given the total spend that would be attached to a patient through all of Medicare. Um, is that often a sticking point for docs when you go and talk to them? Honestly, typically our providers are uh, a little excited that Part hmm. D is not included because it's, it's one less bucket that we typically need to focus on. However, we do focus on that, that level of spend, the retail, the specialty spend within our commercial contracts, so we are accountable for that, and we have found great success in that bucket of spend. So now that we know it's something that we can tackle, something that we can look at and we can, act, and we can influence, um, it is an opportunity for us as an ACO uh, that I think our providers are a little less afraid of as they were maybe early on hmm. in our Medicare shared savings programs. And so why is Part D, medication spending, which is such a, a high driver of cost, why is that not part of regular Medicare or Medicare shared savings plans? Sure. So with Part D, uh, again, retail specialty spend, this is optional for our Medicare patients. They do not have to have Part D coverage. Most do. In 2018, it was about 43 million MSSP patients had supplemental coverage of some sort, whether that be through uh, a private insurer, a standalone prescription drug plan, or a PEP, or they chose to enroll in Part C, which is that Medicare Advantage program, which also includes your includes your retail spend. Um, and that was out of a total of 60 million Medicare patients. So most patients choose to go for the pharmacy benefits, which I think is a pretty smart decision for those patients who are know that they're going to be taking medications in the future, especially those retail and specialty medications that can be high cost. So within the reason that Medicare has chosen to exclude Part D from our MSSP contracts is they felt it was best to focus on Part A and Part B. And a little bit of that reason why is likely due to the fact that Part D is commercially insured. So it's not fully funded under Medicare. They did not feel like it was appropriate to include the Part D cost for that reason. So they've excluded Part D as its own because it is a standalone plan or it is under Medicare Advantage. So if you have a, a PDP or a prescription drug plan or you're enrolled in a Medicare Advantage plan, your cost would be for those retail and specialty drugs included under your ACO spend. However, if you are an MSSP patient, even if you have the supplemental spend, that's not something that our ACO would be looking at or would be accountable for. I had actually always assumed that it was just that pharma lobbied to not have that included so nobody would be trying to reduce drug costs. Is that just too dirty a way to look at it? I don't know that that is why it happened, um, but I do know that they have just time and time again have within their final role stated it's part A, it's part B. We do not feel as though we should be including part D at this time. And that has come with a lot of criticism. There are folks who think, well, if we exclude part D, we're going to have providers trying to, or ACOs trying to move medication spent from part B to part D. So we're just going to be robbing Peter to pay Paul in a sense if we don't include those costs. But that wasn't enough for Medicare to decide to include those costs within our uh, MSSP ACO. So Joe, do you know any more about it? You've got some good political background. 
Yeah, I would say without giving away too much of the smoky back rooms uh, in places like the Senate Finance Committee, there is a lot of discussion about protecting the Part D benefit, particularly among Republicans. Um, It was a, where a lot of my experience was, I should add, um, it was a Bush era program that at the time was unpopular for the fiscal hawks because it was so expensive. But despite the donut hole and some other um, things that are less palatable for patients, it is quite popular among seniors. So I would say Medicare Advantage and Part D are two things that are not quite sacrosanct, but close to it uh, among policymakers. And not just Republicans, it is a, a bipartisan support for that, I would say. So my other question for you on that then is how specifically uh, have you seen people try to transfer Part B costs into Part D? Are there specific meds where that occurs? There are some uh, drug classes that we look at Mm -hmm. that are within Part B accountable, but within Part D we would not be. And that's really looking at place of service. So a big bucket of spend that we look at is rheumatoid arthritis and those high-cost biologics as a great example. There are many of those medications that can be prescribed by your, your rheumatologist in the practice that may also be billed through a specialty pharmacy and mailed to your home for self-administration. Same drug, same dosing schedule, it's just a matter of whether or not you're you're going into the office to have that medication administered or you're going home and administering that yourself. Hmm. That's interesting. And so um, within commercial plans, what are some of the ways you have gotten to savings there that you've reduced costs? Within commercial, we are looking at a different set of spend that we're accountable for. So again, MSSP not being accountable for Part D retail specialty spend, that does not apply within our commercial contracts. We are are accountable for that retail and specialty spend. So that becomes a huge opportunity for us as a pharmacy team at Allidade. Uh, We can look at what our patients are filling for at the retail pharmacy counter, what specialty medications they may be filling as well and administering at home. Uh, And that's an opportunity for us to take a look at those medications and try to find high value alternatives that would suit the patient uh, clinically and financially. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially especially as the commercial insurers um, have a more uh, minute-to-minute, month-to-month accounting of their bottom line than the long delays we see sometimes for, for Medicare. Um, how does that work then fit into your larger portfolio? You referenced some of the ways uh, pharmacy and, and prescribing behaviors play into our concept of value-based care here, but I wonder if you could sort of tick through those and then expound on them a bit. Sure. With high-value medication prescribing, that being our most prominent pharmacy product at Allidate, really focused again on that the spend and helping patients to afford their medications, which then trickles down into another initiative that we focus on, which is medication adherence. If patients can afford their medications, we know that they're more likely to take their medications. So medication adherence is another initiative that we focus on that applies to very nicely all three of our our ACOs, our MSSP population benefits from adherence improvement, our Medicare Advantage contracts are accountable for medication adherence improvement. Those are within our STARS measures, triple weighted. Uh, So a great opportunity there, not only to help reduce ED spend and hospitalizations by taking medications as prescribed, but also to get a little bit of a quality incentive for our MA plans. And then with commercial, same thing as MSSP, if patients are taking their medications as prescribed, they're likely to be healthier um, and to be able to control their busy states a little bit more effectively. 
Yeah, I know the adherence in particular is uh, a hot and constantly discussed topic. Uh, the classic case for uh, providers is you may do a perfect diagnostic workup, fully documented, everything is you know buffed into the letter and you're ready. You think you've really done your service to humanity by taking care of somebody's mother or father or grandmother. And there's just a disconnect then when they leave the office or if you're in a hospital setting, leave the hospital and they don't take the meds as prescribed. Um, what, you know, just staying on that for a second, like as a pharmacist, is that something that A, the profession is talking about uh, and then B, what are the recommendations? I think that folks listening to this right now probably have that problem happen all the time if they're in a clinical setting. Medication adherence in general for pharmacy is a significant focus. It's something that within pharmacy school we're trained to tackle. We are taught how to use motivational interviewing to help patients identify what their barriers are to adherence. We're taught what solutions go along with those barriers to make sure that we're providing effective ways to manage adherence. And it's something that we are trained well on and ready to tackle with providers who are, are excited to engage with us on that front. So this is something that the pharmacy world is always talking about, is always focused on and really trying to help improve either at the retail pharmacy counter when they have that face-to-face time or even centrally as a telephonic intervention just to help support that patient in any way possible. Hmm. Get to know your pharmacist, have them help to support you in this capacity because medadherence is not an easy, quick solution. This isn't something where you can call the patient once, talk to them about adherence and, and it's done and it's fixed it more likely requires multiple touch points with that patient, extra time spent to really dig into what's going on with them and why they're not adherent, and then to think about what solution is going to work for them and not produce a new barrier for them. So I would say work as closely as you can with either a pharmacist within your practice, your retail pharmacist, getting to know them and having them help to support you would be a great place to start. But then also think about how you can ingrain this within your workflow as a primary care provider. Is there one key question you could ask a patient, every patient that comes through and sees you that could quickly help you to identify whether or not this patient is struggling. Because a lot of times if we can ask one open-ended question, we can hear a little bit about what's going on with the patient and their medications. And that gives us that, that foot in the door to talk to them about what's really going on and how we can help them. I think everybody understands that medications are expensive and part of the cost driver to the system. But there's a whole hidden ecosystem about why that I think most people are not aware of. I certainly wasn't before I got here. The whole concept of, of rebates, uh, these companies like McKesson, these giant companies that most people have never heard of involved in medication distribution. Um, and certainly it's been debated politically in these last couple of months, the, the issue of, of rebates that CMS may be taking this on. Can you talk to this a bit? Certainly. With rebates, that is uh, absolutely a hot topic right now, uh, something that's been highly publicized and has been around for quite some time, but has recently come to the forefront. So who pays the rebate to whom? The rebate starts out with the pharmaceutical manufacturer, so the individual or the company who is making your drug. They pass on this rebate, which is essentially a discount, to your pharmacy benefits manager, which is a PBM, which is a middleman between your pharmacy, between your pharmaceutical manufacturer and your insurer. So the PBM or the pharmacy benefits manager and the insurer are benefiting from that discount. However, that's not typically passed along to the end user who is your patient or your consumer. 
So the the rebate is really to the person administering the group of medications that someone will get, not necessarily directly to the the patient or the person who has been prescribed that medication. Exactly. And why is there even a pharmacy benefits manager? Why is there a middleman taking such a big piece of the pie? Great question. The pharmacy benefits managers help to manage the formularies for the insurers. So again, as a patient, your insurer has what's covered and what's not covered. So what is on that covered list? That is helped to be determined by that PEM. They work on behalf of the insurer with the pharmacy manufacturers to help negotiate drug prices, to help determine what's going to be on formulary. So they're doing a lot of that heavy lifting on the medication side for the insurer that then the insurer does not have to do. Do they really add that much value, given how many millions, billions they generate every year? I think that's debatable, <laughs> dependent upon who you ask. <laughs> uh, I think for the insurers, it's nice to have that support. It's something taken off of their plate. They have some, you know, the PBM is experienced. They have these relationships already with the pharmaceutical manufacturers. So it's just become part of their workflow, essentially. If you were to take that away, there's a there's a big gap that would need to be filled. It doesn't mean that it couldn't necessarily be filled. However, there would be a new opportunity for the insurer and the pharmacy manu- manufacturer to work together that might take time to build that relationship. And it's been sort of a classic area where uh, large tech players see an avenue into the healthcare space. So Amazon, um, a company called PillPack. I don't know if you've, you've yes. seen these folks. I, I remember sitting in a um, a lecture hall at MIT, and the founder of PillPack was coming through to talk because he had gone through the same class that I that I was in there, and he led off with this question about PBMs or pharmacy benefit managers, and it seemed so arcane to people, and it really is the opportunity area for somebody to do it better. And for those that don't know, PillPack um, is a novel distribution mechanism where they will give you all of your pills for a given day in like single serving packages and interestingly i just happened to have uh, one of my relatives sitting in that class with me my brother-in-law who is uh, in the united kingdom and that's very common over there so he didn't even see the innovation in having those single serving packages, but they don't have the same financial incentives there because of their national health insurance structure. They, they would probably not think of ACOs as innovative, you know, oh, preventive care. What a great idea. Right, exactly. But, you know, just as a, a side note, I have talked to several of the uh, physicians in the UK about things like that and things like what we do. Several of them are really interested in it, but ideologically, they can't propose those things because it smells of privatization in the same way we get certain ideological elements here that are concerned about socialization or public options or things like that. So somehow we've agreed, but on opposite ends of the spectrum. It's really interesting. Thinking about the cost of medications and things like rebates, I've heard about manufacturer savings cards. I'm not, frankly not as familiar with the space, but could you, could you give some background on that? Sure. This is another opportunity for the drug manufacturer to attempt to pass along some significant discounts, and this time to the patient. So the rebates are focused on those pharmacy benefit managers and the insurers, while the manufacturer discount cards are passed directly along to the patient. So it sounds great in theory, right? Uh, We have a savings card. It gives you an automatic discount on your, your prescription. When you go to the pharmacy counter, you go from paying $100 for your 30-day prescription to $0 for that 30-day 
prescription sounds like a win-win for everyone, right? Um, however, there are some hidden pieces behind this, uh, and just like the rebates. The manufacturer savings cards temporarily reduce the cost for that patient. So while it's wonderful that for a few months they may be able to save some money on their prescriptions, what the manufacturer is really doing is they're creating brand loyalty. Uh, they are still getting the full cost of the medication. So the insurer pays the exact same amount. It's just the patient copay that becomes less. So they're eating a little bit of that cost, but ultimately the cost of the drug is still very high. So what does that mean? Well, if the, if the manufacturer is losing some money on the copay front, they're just going to bump their prices to make up for that difference. So they're really not losing in this. Uh, but they've created that brand loyalty now. So they are influencing what patients want. They're imp influencing what prescribers are writing for. And they're ultimately driving up the cost of these medications. So as, as a final question, um, for you personally, how near or far is the work you're doing now at Allidade from what you thought you'd be doing when you first set out in a career in pharmacy? Always a great question, I feel, at Allidade. Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, coming in, it was very focused on commercial work. We had just started our first commercial contract. And again, we started with MSSP contracts where we weren't accountable for this pharmacy spend. And so getting into the commercial space and realizing we need to find a solution for tackling this retail and specialty spend, we should think about bringing on a pharmacist or a pharmacy team to help figure out what that solution looks like for commercial moving forward. So that was why I was initially brought in, was looking at that spend, as well as some part B, the again, what's administered in your practice, um, the injectables, the immunizations, and looking at where to be of opportunities to cut back on the spend there. So that has continued to be what Allidate has focused on because we've seen such great success with it. Uh, we've expanded significantly to now include um, multiple ACOs that are accountable for pharmacy spend in the commercial space, which is exciting. And we've been able to produce significant savings as a result of the work that we're doing. So our product is working, which is nice. We're able to produce savings for our patients as well as our ACOs. And it's something that we'll continue to build on and develop. But within the scope of the about two and a half years that I've been here, we've also been able to explore new opportunities within pharmacy. We've looked at pharmacy partnerships. How do we, again, bring those PCPs and the pharmacies together to work as one instead of working in silos? Uh, we've been able to explore medication adherence solutions, educating care managers who, who work with these patients day in and day out on how to talk to patients about med adherence, what barriers should they be looking for and the solutions, again, that go along with that. And doing a little bit of training on that end as well as tying that in with our Medicare Advantage contracts now that are becoming more prevalent. And then lastly, we've been doing a lot of medication management work, which has been really exciting, thinking about how do we position pharmacists within our PCP practices to really help support day to day. So that has been a really exciting new venture for us uh, that we are hoping to expand upon moving forward. Excellent. Thanks so much for your time today, Megan. Thank you for having me.